Hi everyone, this is Sam. Before this week's episode, this is a heads up that my new book, Sort Your Head Out, Mental Health Without All the Bollocks, is out on February 16th, published by Constable. Search my name on Amazon, Waterstones or wherever else you get your books to pre-order a copy now. It'll be available in hardback, Kindle and as an audio book via Audible. All your support, as always, is appreciated. Hello and welcome to The Reset, a mental health podcast without all the bollocks. I'm Sam Delaney. My guest this week is the founder of The Burnt Chef Project, Chris Hall. He set up The Burnt Chef in 2019 to help eradicate mental health stigma within the hospitality industry. And he's done amazing work since. We've all seen depictions on TV shows and in the movies of aggressive, stressful kitchen atmospheres. Is it really like that in real life? And what's the Burnt Chef Project doing to change things? I'll let Chris explain more. I hope you enjoy listening to our chat. Chris, welcome to The Reset. Thank you very much for having me. It's good to be here. Chris, the impression I have of chefs is that they're all suffering from a lot of mental health problems because it seems to be such a stressful atmosphere to work in a kitchen. Is that what inspired you to start the Burnt Chef Project? Well, first and foremost, I was never a chef. So I actually worked with chefs for 10 years. Mm. So I was a food wholesaler. So I used to supply right. supply chefs with fine dining ingredients. And as well as that, I've worked in bars. So I was front of house predominantly down in Bournemouth. You know, having uh, a good a good career in sales and marketing, working in various different sectors, I always had jobs in in nightclubs uh, and in busy pubs down in Bournemouth. So for me, a lot of my experience of working in hospitality is, as I say, front of house, dealing with customers, dealing with high pressure environments and long hours, but also being able to be a fly on the wall in kitchen environments and being able to walk in during not just peak times and service times, but also being able to forge relationships with chefs and get to understand some of the subtle nuances mm. within the chef and community. Um, and that's really where the Burnt Chef Project came from, is the fact that for a long time I looked at the industry, I looked at the stereotypes and the behaviours that we would experience within hospitality and certainly back of house as well, and started to question the validity of it and why it needed to be the way it was. Why were people uh, self-coping with alcohol or drugs in order to perform and to get the job done why was there such a high pressure a high stress environment and was that any good for not just the individuals but also for the businesses and the business owners as well mm. and that's really where the burnt chef project was was born from it was actually let's start questioning let's start asking why let's start looking at this and trying to challenge some of these stereotypes and start to try and forge a healthier and more sustainable way of creating a, a hospitality industry that we can all be proud of. And what was it in your own life that brought you to think about these issues? So for a long time, I've always been very interested in psychology. And I guess that's really one reason why I got into sales at such a young age. I still remember now reading books on uh, neurolinguistic programming when I was about 18 years old. I just wow. loved the fact that you could have a conversation with someone and establish what an underlying feeling or thought process is, and then you could work with that to to 
provide a solution effectively. Um, but I, at a very, very early age, so probably when I was about 16, 17, got hit with very serious bout of depression where I, I quit college. Um, I was studying psychology and English literature at the time. I dropped out of college. I spent probably the best part of between three and five months just bedridden. I couldn't get out of bed. I'd lost all zest for life. I genuinely didn't want to be around anymore. And I sunk me into a very big depression, a very, very deep depression. And for a long time, I really struggled with that until one day, I guess as I've become a lot older, I've I've become more spiritual, but something poked me and prodded me and said, Chris, you can either spend the rest of your life lying in bed. You can spend your time trying to work out how not to be around anymore, or you can get on and start taking a step forward and try and dig your way out of this. And I never saw a doctor, never got any assistance for it. I just knew that it was almost like a, a do or die scenario. So I had to start getting up, getting out of bed, brushing my teeth, you know, doing my hair, trying to have a conversation with my family or friends that was, you know, for a long time was, was very difficult starting to put myself into social situations and start to fight through the paranoia and the anxiety of just being out in the real world. And over the period of about two and a half years, I managed to slowly climb out of that depression and small, small changes started to happen. And I remember it as clear as day. I used, I started looking forward to dates in the near future. So like I would look forward to Friday because I'd pushed out of my comfort zone and I had made a plan. Mm. to go and see someone or to go and do something for myself. And slowly those dates started to extend. It started to move past Fridays into next Friday or Saturday, or it started to be looking forward to my, my career prospects. Or I noticed that actually optimism started creeping into my life. Yeah. And this wasn't something that happened quickly. Anyway, move, fast forward uh, to when I was about 28, 29, and I was in a very good career. I was supplying some of the best restaurants in and around the southwest of the country. I had built a fantastic team. We were achieving great metrics. So everything was fine. You know, happily married, two kids. Um, in essence, I had nothing to complain about. I was in good shape. I was working out regularly. I was um, we're financially very stable. There was no reason for me to be feeling ill again. Um, but what I'd started to do is engage in more risk-taking behavior. So started drinking more, you know, started, if you went to the rugby club, it wasn't just a single pint. You'd go out and come back home at three or four o'clock in the morning. Um, was constantly having battles in my own head and with my own monologue. You know, even small things like my wife would ask me to do something like, you know, do you mind washing up? And that was a big, big conflict for me. And that would hang over for about two weeks. It was a really odd situation to be in. So that led me into a position whereby I, out of desperation, I, I knew I had to get help. So that was my first time where I actually went, okay, I need some professional support with this. And I went to go see a therapist. But before walking into that therapist's office, I was booking fake appointments in my diary so that my boss had no idea that I was going to see um, a professional to deal with mental illness. I even, when I got to the big red door 
for the therapist's office in the middle of Bournemouth. I stopped and I looked both ways to make sure that no one had followed me there to ensure <laughs> that no one I knew was with me and then could see me going into this unmarked red door that for, for all intents and purposes, you had no idea, but that sense of shame and stigma and guilt was so strong that I wasn't able to talk about it. And I genuinely, when I sat down in that therapist's office, she said to me, what is it you want to get out of, out of the sessions? And I said, well, I'm fed up with all of these conflicts and negative thoughts and this paranoia and anxiety going through my head. I said, I just want to walk around the world with a big empty space in my head, like everyone else on the planet. Like I genuinely, I'm so envious of people I walk past in the street because they quite clearly don't have any thoughts or concerns going on inside their head, because if they did, they would speak about it. Right. And she said, no, you, you, first thing you need to understand is that everyone has an internal monologue. Everyone has thoughts and negative thoughts and positive thoughts. And then, you know, there's a wave of emotions going through people on a daily basis. What we're not very good at is talking about it and highlighting that and being able to share these problems. Mm. So after a couple of years of recovery of that, and I, I spent a lot of time um, developing myself and finding out what my core values were and establishing myself as, as Chris, because for a long time I was a chameleon with a bit of a, an identity crisis. Mm. The Burnt Chef Project was born off the back of that, which was let's raise some noise for the fact that mental health is something we all have, that you never really know what's going on in the shadows. You don't really know what's going on behind the scenes. And especially within hospitality in a very high stress, high uh, volume industry with uh, quite a clear skill gap shortage because of the, the turnover of staff let's do something about changing this to make sure that other people don't have to be that person stood at a big red door wondering if anyone's followed them there. And that's, that's really where the burnt chef project came from. So therapy was the, was a big step for you. You, you know, you say you were nervous about people knowing you were doing it. How long did that last for? Because that's something I very much relate to. I've written before about my first visit to a, um, therapist and how i bumped into someone a vague acquaintance on the tube on the way there who asked just casually oh where are you off to like people do and i completely freaked out and launched into the most elaborate unconvincing lie and it's funny isn't it now the two of us sat here and you know talking on a podcast that, that to anyone will listen about the fact that we do this stuff how did that change how long did it take for that to change inside of you so I was quite lucky. I went through six sessions of CBT and I don't know. I, I, I've always been a deep thinker. I don't know whether or not that's, uh, I've always, I've always had this theory that people who are deep thinkers are more, more perhaps susceptible to experiencing mental illness because you start to question things and you really go into your own mind. And sometimes you can't, you can't escape from, from those thought processes. But anyway, I, she started asking me certain questions about, um, the way I was brought up, my relationships, you know, what makes me feel the way I did. And I was almost working a couple of steps ahead. So I was quite fortunate where I'd be like, actually, I know why you're asking that question and give me 24 hours. I think I'll have a solution for that. So when I came in next, I'll be like, okay, well, I've got that bit sorted. 
what else can you ask me? Like how, how quickly can we progress this through? And I know it's, it's not a race and some people will experience therapy for years, but I was quite lucky with my therapist and, and how she worked with me that she was asking me the right questions to give me enough homework, especially with my, I, with my psychology, I quite like being challenged. So for mm. me, it was almost like a, okay, yeah, no, that makes sense. Yes, mm. I do have fractured relationships in the past that are impacting my ability to be authentic and, and true to myself, which is impacting, you know, my relationships and how I'm, you know, not able to say no to people. Um, so we managed to move it through quite quickly. But the, the big part for me was after those six sessions is actually I was like, all right, hold on a sec. I've unpacked all of this this stuff. I've pulled out all the filing cabinets. I've chucked the paper everywhere. I now know that they need to go in certain drawers in certain orders, but I'm going to have to spend the next couple of years picking those bits up and putting them into bits that are authentic and true to myself. And so that was the the, the longer part of it. It was actually rebuilding the pieces of me to ensure that what I had was a firm foundation moving forward and that I wouldn't have to then go back to where I was. And so once you'd sort of discovered the power of, of that, of that kind of perspective shift and, uh, uh, you know, and, and how talking can just help you improve your responses to things that happen in life. Um, is that what made you passionate about spreading that and trying to sort of encourage people you know, the blokes everywhere who were like you and thought I could never be seen to be walking into a therapist's office. Um, is it, was that a large part of what you were trying to do was to sort of make people chill out a bit more about that stuff? Yeah, I think um, having been a, a rugby player and worked in hospitality, you know, there is a big stigma associated with, uh, and, and I live, I, so I moved from Bournemouth to Somerset and I live on a farm now. Um, I, I married a, a Somerset girl. Uh, dad is, you know, the classic stoic. He'd cut his own arm off with a chainsaw doing a job and he would tourniquet it just so that he could get the job done. Like he's yeah, that yeah. sort of guy, you know? And yeah. um, for a long time, I think that was one of the catalysts that went, hold on a second. If this is what a real man should be, then I'm I'm completely and utterly broken because I wear my heart on my sleeve. You know, if a wasp comes near me, I flinch because I've, you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm quite, sens- uh, quite a, an emotive and sensitive person. Yeah. And so I just... The benefits of being able to speak openly and frankly about what was going through my mind and to be able to have a platform where I could then voice it out loud and then bring it back in internally to work it out was so beneficial to me that I thought, you know, what, I need to do something so that other people don't have to go through these years of dealing with it internally. And to do that, we need to create a conversation. We need to create awareness. And we need to let people know that you don't necessarily have to pay for therapy. You don't necessarily yeah. have to be shy of getting professional help. Sometimes it's being able to speak to someone who is able to demonstrate empathy and able to listen to you and not to judge. And that was really where that came from. And again, call it divine intervention. But it was never my plan to leave my job. It was never a plan to set up a social enterprise. Um, and it was certainly never a plan to reach 120 odd countries with training and support mechanisms. But I felt like I had to do something. And, and you know, that led me to standing up in front of a room of 65 people talking about my experience in October 2019. And here we are now. Wow. Um, 
Um, and what are the sort of challenges that you've that you've um, encountered in the industry, in the hospitality industry? What are the most common things that you find yourself having to address in, in, in particularly in men in your industry? Um, well, it's tricky. There's no one size fits all because we're all different, right? I like to use the term snowflake. And often enough, when people use the term snowflake, we think of people like Pierce Morgan using it in a really negative term. Mm. But I'd like to turn that on its head because in reality, a lot of us might exhibit the same characteristics. We might be you know, human, human life forms. We might have one leg, two legs. You know, you might be black, white. It doesn't really matter. We're all kind of built the same. But like snowflakes, we are very much based on our journey. So a snowflake is formed on its journey through the clouds. Yeah. And whilst it might look on the outside very, very similar, when you look at it on a microscopic level, what makes its makeup is completely different and unique to that individual snowflake. And we're very much like that. So for each person, it could be different. But I think to try and put it into some coherent sort of the main areas that we see frequently, I think high levels of stress within hospitality specifically have always been celebrated. It's a case of you need to be strong enough to cope with high levels of stress. And if you're not, you're deemed weak. And so that, that machoism of going, well, hold on a second. I'm perhaps drinking a bottle of wine to get to sleep every night or I'm having fractious relationships or, you know, my physical health is struggling as a result. It's because I'm weak and I'm not able to cope with it as opposed to going, well, actually perhaps we're pushing ourselves past the point of physical and, and mental exhaustion. So challenging that and letting people know that you are human uh, and that we all have mental health is an absolute game changer. But we're also dealing with some very archaic views. And I still have conversations now with people, you know, male, male chefs specifically who go, well, you know, stress is just a, you know, something in your head. And, you know, if you're mentally unwell, it's just the way that you think rather than actually know there are physical changes that happen in your body and in your brain as a result of mental illness. I think, so, sorry, go on. No, go on. Please finish your thought. Yeah. I mean, stress, stress is one of the main things. I think the ability to open up and talk. And also I think there's a, there's a big reticence to be that person who is able to start that conversation because what we as men sometimes struggle with is empathy. Yeah. We are terrified at putting ourselves in a vulnerable position and being that being able to connect on that level and that's a quite a general sweeping statement but women naturally are very great empaths they are very good at, at going oh yeah i totally understand how that feels and although i've not experienced that exact thing i really feel what you're mm -hmm. saying whereas with men we tend to be like you're right mate how's it going yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. good. Great. Okay, cool. Phew. Let's move right. on. Yeah. 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 I've dodged that. I've dodged that dodged that conversation. But in fact, actually, having done it with my own mates and, and people that I know, you know, just to be able to go, that sounds shit. Mm. And I've got no idea what it must be like to be experienced, but I'm glad that you're actually talking to me about it. And I want to learn more. I want to understand more. Mm. And I want to be here for you. There's so much power in that that we we as men need to be a little bit more comfortable with. 
there's a competitiveness in men as well, though, isn't there? And that that's part of it is that with mates, you know, or colleagues, you, you kind of men often want to demonstrate to to their peers that they're doing all right. There's no problems here. Everything's fine. And that, that's a sort of a competitiveness, really, isn't it? I wonder if you see that, you know, in, in the rugby, in your rugby culture that you're in and stuff like that. Yeah, there is. There is. But I think then we should turn that competitive nature on its head and go, okay, perhaps people don't want necessarily to talk about their problems. Yeah, there's a level of stoicism that we've been brought up with, especially in post-war era, which is, you know, man up, get on with it. You know, we've managed to get through a war and we are strong, we're fierce and we're infallible. And that's been bred into our culture for hundreds mm. of years. You know, we have to go back to the Roman times mm. and, and that that's become part of the parcel. And yes, there's an element of that masculinity that we need to retain. You know, it's, it's just a general law of attraction, especially with women. Mm. But I think let's turn that competitiveness on the head. If we know and we understand that it's difficult for men to open up, what can we do? What can we learn in order to identify perhaps the signs better and find new ways of being able to help open those conversations? So for example, a young lad I was talking to, very stoic, you know, much, much more masculine than, than, than I could ever dream of being, you know, tough, tough cookie. I noticed he was wringing his hands at the pub one night. Mm. And he was ringing them and he looked unner—he looked nervous and uncomfortable. And I just, I said to him, mate, you're not all right. What's happened? What's, what's going through your head at the moment? He's like, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm like, well, you're quite clearly not. I like, don't bullshit it. Mm. What is it that's going through your head? Just tell me. And like, let's see if that can help. He's like, oh, it's nothing. But da, 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 da. Mm. And by the end of that conversation, and it was only a short conversation over beer in a quiet, quiet word in the corner, he was like, oh yeah, I just find I get really anxious in these situations. I said, well, I'm with you. I feel that. Here's what works for me. You might find that that works for you, but if not, like, I'm here to help. Mm. Mm. And there's that competitive nature of actually, I saw that he was not right. And perhaps we should then perhaps find that that competitive nature and just go, let's, let's start empowering ourselves more to perhaps recognize what isn't right and some of the signs of you know, mental illness or mental distress so that we can then proactively tackle that mm. rather than hoping that someone feels comfortable just to suddenly open up. And, and in a way, I often think, you know, what you just described, what, you know, you sound like the one with, to put it bluntly, a big pair of balls there because most blokes wouldn't, you, you, they might notice it, they might not. But even if they do notice it, in that context, it's awkward, it's embarrassing for you, for the other person. You don't want to get into it. It's easier. It's the easiest thing in the world to ignore. And yet, actually, you know, if you, if you want to kind of almost harness your competitiveness, you know, you, you look like someone with with the bollocks to have stood up and said, no, I want to talk to you about this. I wanted to, to engage with you about that. It's quite a good thing for other men to see it in that way. It takes bravery and courage, not just to speak about yourself, but to reach out and help other people. Yeah. I think, I mean, let's, let's break it down to its bare bones. Men are naturally like biologically and physiologically, we're problem solvers, right? We are the guys who come up with the solutions to, to issues and which is why suicide rates within the male community are so high because we have a problem and we find the solution and often enough, it's a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Mm. So we are very, very good at, 
problem solving. And I think that we perhaps should lean into that a little bit more and go, okay, we've got a mate here who's struggling. I can't necessarily solve his problems, whether it's mm. you know financial, whether it's marital, but just knowing that I'm able to shoulder some of that burden will allow that person to feel a little bit better. And I think that we all have a shared responsibility to to look out for that and and to do what we can do to to help each other um and it doesn't need to be embarrassing like it's you know you go get your prostate examined you you know you go get you go get checked out if you've got an odd lump or you should do you know and that, again that's not yeah it's uncomfortable but it's not embarrassing it's just we're all built this exactly the same way mm, mm. so we do it for our physical health why shouldn't we do it for our mental health uh, tell me about uh, a little bit more about how the Burnt Chef project has grown uh, globally and uh, what its plans are for the you know for the year ahead. Yeah, sure, I'd be glad to. I mean, the Burnt Chef project, as I said, was never was never intended to be what it is today, which is an absolute beast of a a, a project which is helping thousands of people globally um it was only ever meant to be and and for those who can't see i've got some black and white photos behind me of, of hospitality professionals it was it was only meant to be you know something to raise awareness in bournemouth we have since become the go-to voice for mental health and well-being across all sides of hospitality uh, in the UK. So we work with some fantastic partners like Glen Eagles and the Manoir and the Belfry and Marsdens. And uh, we've got Ask Italian who, who access our training as well. So we've got a big client list, both in this country and that's growing um, rapidly abroad. We've become not just a, an awareness campaign. So we sell um, merchandise around the globe. We have a three meter tall inflatable elephant that we take around with us and we blow her up and people absolutely love her because she's a giant black elephant and yeah. they're very much the elephant in the room. But we provide 24 hour text-based support through our partners at Shout. We provide NHS approved therapy through our partners at Thrive, you know, and that's available in nine different languages around the world. Again, going back to that problem solving, I didn't want to just stick a plaster on it and go, there we go. We've raised some awareness. Um, let's just leave it to someone else to try and scoop up. I want to fix the issue of severe mental health issues within hospitality. So we provide the training and education to managers and individuals to look after themselves better, whether it's breath work or how to manage mental illness or menopause or nutrition or sleep. We provide that training and we just continue to grow. And, and we, you know, there's a team of 15 of us now, <laughs> three years in, that's 15 of us all doing this work. And does that include the trainers who go into organizations? Yeah. So we're currently recruiting for more trainers because of the demand. So we have five at the moment. I'm probably going to need another four or five to be able to cope with the demand. I'm off to Edinburgh in or next week um, to train at Glen Eagles. And I'm off to Edinburgh again in two weeks time to train another company. So we really have become sort of the, the go-to guys for mental health awareness training and uh, structural change and also stress reduction training as well, because we work with the HSE. So right. we are the only hospitality partner for health and safety executives that specifically focus on tackling work-related stress. Yeah. So we do a lot of training with that as well. Um, 
So yeah, and the, and the, and the type of training you do, you, you, it's sort of multifaceted. So each of you train in all of these different areas, from physical health and nutrition to stress management and, and everything in between. Yeah, and I think you know the, where our success lies is we understand that we aren't experts in absolutely everything so we rely upon third-party trainers for example there's an exec chef or an ex-exec chef called shane from jasper Wellbeing. he teaches breath work now for most of us out there who perhaps aren't too familiar with yoga and breath work we think oh god yeah like this all sounds like a little bit out there for me but actually the stuff that he teaches is incredible mm. in terms of being able to de-escalate stress levels in terms of building resilience it's really really powerful stuff so he delivers our breathwork training we have um trainers from different backgrounds you know um therapeutic trainers mental health first aid trainers people from occupational health all training out a variety of different sessions for us mm -hmm. so we really do. It's very much a collaborative effort now, the Burnt Chef Project. It was started by one man and it's now an entire community that guides its progress moving forward. Uh, and my, la my last question is, you know, you you built this and it's an amazing thing. Um, but it's like you say, it's grown into a beast. So this takes me back to where are you at in terms of your stress levels, your ability to manage what sounds like a really you know, I'm sure extremely fulfilling, but extremely exhausting schedule. How, how do you cope? Yeah. See, I'm always conflicted when I have this question because I've been told by by certain individuals, especially if they've had a few beers, you should be the poster boy. You should be, you know, whiter than white in terms of you're working out regularly, you're doing mindfulness every two seconds, you know, you're eating the best, best balanced diet. But in reality, that's all bullshit. Like I'm a human being and I'm susceptible to the same um, peaks and troughs as anyone else. And during the early days of the Birch Chef Project, I was so consumed by doing 80-hour weeks in order to help my fellow fellow man and to be able to make this project as large as possible that I'm not going to lie. Like I did, I burnt out quite severely at the back end of um, 2020. Uh, and my wife basically said, you need to get this, get a handle on this and start taking some time for yourself and look after yourself. Mm. And so I've been a little bit more conscious since then of my boundaries on my signs so i've had to be more acutely aware of okay yeah i am finding that i can't close my laptop and i've got to do just five more emails and i've got no time for the gym and perhaps i should skip lunch today just so i can do more work if i see those flags i have to be a little bit more disciplined and go shut the laptop down walk away yeah stop but again i'm not perfect at it I haven't exercised for the last week. It's having an impact on my thought process. It's, it's, my thought process is starting to be a little less optimistic. So mm -hmm. I understand that I, in the next 24, 48 hours, I need to do something that blows out the cobwebs. I need to perhaps you know, reduce um, my carbs and start eating some more varied diet to try and improve that serotonin level from the gut as well as also mm -hmm. the serotonin from, from exercise. So it's a, it's a constant balance. It's a constant balance. And I think that when you work in something like mental health, you're always aware that the work that you're doing hopefully is helping just one more person. And sometimes that can be a little bit all consuming. Well, 
I'm blown away by everything that you've achieved. And, you know, also just the way that you turn your personal struggles into something that is clearly just so incredible for so and helping so many people. And you must feel great about that. Um, and you should do. And so um, I'm really delighted to, to actually get some of your time amidst all of this other stuff that you're doing. How can people find out more about The Burnt Chef Project? So the best way of getting hold of us is through our website. You can see the training that we provide. We can see the 300 lines of e-commerce stock and we have our own podcast, etc. You'll be able to see that online, which is www.theburntchefproject.com. We are quite prolific on social media. Uh, the key for me is to make sure that everyone knows we exist, to be omnipresent at all times through all channels. So check us out on Instagram or on Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn um, at The Burnt Chef Project. Uh, see what we do, see the content we share, because yes, it's hospitality specific or geared towards hospitality. But again, we all have mental health. You know, take the word chef out and apply some of the things that we, we speak about on social media to yourself. And I'm mm -hmm. sure that you'll find a benefit mm -hmm. in that. So, you know, feel free to check that out. Chris, you're an amazing bloke. The Burnt Chef is an incredible project. I think everyone, no matter what walk of life they're in, could learn a lot from the stuff you're doing. And um, I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for coming on The Reset. Thanks for having me, Sam. Cheers. Chris Hall there, a really powerful and eloquent speaker on all mental health matters, I think. And I think whatever industry you work in, we can all learn so much from what the Burnt Chef Project is doing in hospitality. That's it for this week. Please remember to subscribe to The Reset if you don't already at sandelaney.substack.com. You can follow me on Instagram at The Reset Sam. And remember to pre-order my new book, Sort your head out, mental health without all the bollocks, which is out on February the 8th. You can pre-order now via Amazon or Waterstones or any other of your favourite bookshops. Until next time, be lucky and don't let the dickheads get you down.